been caught by surprise. Um, he, we, we've seen God make some big changes in the past few weeks. I believe we can see him make bigger changes. So, God, thank you so much, Father, Lord, that we can come to you in prayer. Thank you for you. Thank you, God, that you've even saw fit to spare this country. God, you've had every reason to turn away from us, God, and to, and to turn us over to a reprobate mind and be done away, but yet your long sufferings continually poured out, God. I pray, Father, you'd help us as Christians, God, to, to stand up and be a light in a dark world. I pray you'd energize us, give us the strength that we need, Father. I pray you'd give us platforms of opportunity, God, to present the gospel clearly. Lord, to those who won't hear, they won't hear, God, but there are many hearts out there that are, God. I pray you'd put those who are prepared, those who the Holy Spirit is working with, God, and the same with our young people as they go back to school and even now, God, where they are. I pray you just touch their hearts and their lives and work in them. Father, I pray for these many that's sick. God, certainly for Chance and for Oakley, God, their, their young lives are starting out hard at five and eight years old, God, to, to go through surgeries and the things that they're going through and facing the things. And Father, I can only imagine the horror of their parents, God. Lord, I pray that your grace would be sufficient there, God. I thank you, Lord, for the grace that we up and carry us to places we couldn't go without you, God. We thank you for being so good. Lord, I pray you take this message, these words tonight as we study your handwritten love letter to us, God. I pray you'd open some things up, Father. I pray you'd give us some strength and comfort and help us, God, to be a better servant. We love you. We just want to please you. We trust you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I know we looked ahead a little bit last week. This evening, I want to go back to where we were. We're still in Acts chapter 13. I know I'd moved ahead to chapter 15 and even further down in 13. But I want to back back up to verse number 4 to start reading. And, and then we'll start kind of looking over some of them. Acts chapter 13, verse 4. They being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. This, of course, is Paul and Barnabas that we're talking about. The Holy, you know, he said, separate me out, Barnabas and Paul. But they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence, they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. When they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they fought Jesus, which was the, with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus, a sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Verse number 11 says, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. Immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned unto Jerusalem. Thank you to yet another leg of the journey. But we talked a little bit last week about the argument between Paul and Barnabas that rose up here when they started to go on their second missionary journey in chapter 15. The argument rose up over this verse right here that, 
that, that John, John Mark, departed. He left. I told you there's some that say the reason that John Mark left from their presence and went back was because of this event involving this sorcerer and, and this man Sergius and that he is received in, into the family of God. And some say that, that it has to, has to do with that. So it's all speculation. We really don't know. Here's what we do know. Paul's not happy about it. Paul's not happy about the fact that he left. So in verse number six, this is the first confrontation in this missionary journey. It went smooth for just a little bit, but not very long. We, you know, souls have been getting saved. They've been preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. The kingdom's added to, but you got to know, as we just talked about, anytime you say that you can expect the confrontation with the enemy, which is the devil. Now, here in the text, they have a sorcerer. They have someone who is, is not a Christian. They have someone who is a false prophet, a false proclaimer. He claims to be something that he's not. And the devil's using him. But understand, the devil does not need a sorcerer to create a problem. The tongue of a Christian will do just fine. The tongue of a pretender will do just fine. Just because somebody sits on a pew on Sunday morning and claims to be a child of God, the Bible says that I can know them by their fruit. If their fruit stinks, the inside stinks. I'm, I'm not being judgmental. I'm really not. I'm just preaching the gospel. I'm telling you, the devil has got some church houses full of people today. And, and he's got them in there to sow discord, to stir up problems, to, to put things out. But anytime you expect, anytime God is doing something, you can expect opposition. It doesn't matter if it's a ministry. It doesn't matter if it's a church. It doesn't matter what it is that the Lord's using. Whatever it is that the Lord's using it, you've heard me say a lot of times, if you expect opposition, you won't be surprised when you get it. I just said, you'd be surprised by who sometimes. You'd be surprised by what they say or what they think of the ridiculousness of it. But you won't be surprised by the opposition if you just go ahead and look for it. It says that they found a certain sorcerer. A false prophet, a Jew whose name was Barjesus. This sorcerer is a very important friend, a, a confidant of a very powerful political figure here in this region. Verse number 7 says, With the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. There is no doubt that this Sergius has heard of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and his party. There's little, if any, doubt that he has heard of this man. And doubt that he's heard about the conversions. He's heard about the life-changing experiences that people have met this Christ and things are changing in their life. There's little, if any, doubt that he's heard probably about some of the miracles of Jesus and the things that did when Jesus was there. But, but what he wants to hear now is from the apostles themselves, those who have firsthand experience of Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard people talk about Jesus. I've heard the things that's going on. But what I want to hear now, Paul and Barnabas, I want you to come here and I want you to see what has happened is the Holy Spirit has placed a desire in his heart to hear the truth. And he says, I want these men to come and bring the word of God. But then the devil steps in and tries to make sure that that doesn't happen. I've told you all my story. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it a lot. I've told you about the car breaking down and all the things that happened. But the devil did everything he could to keep me from getting to that church on that Sunday. The devil did everything he could to stop that day because...
spiritual warfare that's going on. He could see there was things going on. And, and I, don't, I believe every life in here is the same. I, I believe this. If you don't have it, that's okay. But I, I, I think if you look back on the day that you got saved, I think if you look back at that event, I think if you look, you can see just prior to all the way up then that the devil probably tried to do everything he could to keep you from getting to the place where you were. Or maybe he did everything he could to interrupt the conversation that was, that was going on. The devil does everything to try to stop that. I know he did in my life. I believe he's done it in every Christian's life. He does everything to put turmoil in to keep someone. And that's exactly what he's doing right here. He's trying to, to interrupt the conversation. He's trying to, to stop Sergius from, from hearing the gospel. He calls himself Elimus, which is interpreted the enlightened one. It says withstood them. Verse number eight, it says the reason that he withstood them was seeking to turn away. This is the devil's work. He just wanted to keep a soul from being saved. He just wanted to keep the gospel from being preached. He just wanted to stop something good from happening. Every one of us has had an Elimus in our path. Every one of us had an alignment who did everything to try to keep us from getting saved, who tried to stay in the way, who tried to keep us away from the church or away from a Christian or, or whatever it was. But can I tell you that just because we got saved, those guys didn't go away. When we got saved, they just kept on coming. They tried to pull us back into the world that we were saved from. They tried to pull us back into the old way of life. They tried to tell us that that's not real. They tried to mock us and make fun of us. They tried to tell us that, that we're living in some fantasy land. They did everything they could. Elimus, the devil doesn't go away. He, he doesn't get rid of the Elimuses in our life just because we got saved. It just changes the content of his structure. Now, instead of trying to keep us from getting saved, once we are saved, now what he wants is to keep you from being what God wants you to be. That is in your life to try to tear you down, to try to keep you pulled back so that you can't be everything that God wants you to be. He wants to create confusion. The devil knows the power of God. The devil knows the power of the blood of Jesus. And he knows the only chance he's got is to keep you away from any of it. So he puts all of these obstacles in the way. He did not want this governor to be saved. And that, that's, what, that's what he is. Sergius, this is a Roman place. Technically, he's the governor. He did not want him to hear the truth. So he tries to put a stop to it. But Paul, it says in verse number 9, Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, Oh, oh full of all subtlety. Sorry. All mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, Wilt thou not cease to perverse the right ways of the Lord? There is no compromise, no surrender, no backing down on the part of Paul. See, this guy, he's in his home turf. He's friends with this powerful political figure. He's probably thinking he's got the upper hand that he will intimidate the apostle Paul. Apparently, he didn't know who he was dealing with. The same thing is true with us. We cannot be bullied or intimidated into compromise. I mean, obviously this man is like a best friend, maybe a, a confidant of the deputy. Being a Roman citizen, I just said, being a Roman city that this is, Sergius is basically, he is the governor of, of this city. He is 
a very important man, this guy being his friend, being there with him. He's probably like a counselor, somebody that he talked to, somebody that he seeks advice from. Somebody, I mean, obviously, the dude's a sorcerer. He, he can make up whatever kind of lie you want to hear, right? So, so he's there with him. He's, he, he's pretty much in front of it. And the apostle Paul, here he is in front of the governor, the one who is over the city where he's at. Here he is in front of this sorcerer who is obviously probably a respect. Up to be something that he's not. So here's in front of everybody. The apostle Paul said, buddy, you're a liar. I just tell you straight up, you, you, you're a liar. You're a false witness. Everything that comes out of your mouth is a lie. Everything you speak is a lie. Everything you teach is a lie. And he says, you are a child of the devil. You are an enemy of all righteousness. He told Elimus. He told the governor. He told everybody present, this man's a liar. All of his teachings are a lie. Everything about him is a lie. Paul makes no room for compromise, nor can we. There, when it comes to Christ, we have no room for compromise. There is no middle ground. There, there is no common ground. There is no agreeing to disagree. When it comes to Jesus Christ, there is no room for compromise. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only way to have sins. Watch Lamb's book of life. He is the only way to be to the Father. He says that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There cannot be compromise. There can't be compromise in the school system. There can't be compromise when we're on the street. And there sure can't be compromise from the pulpit. The church is weak today but because of compromise. But, but what we see here is this first confrontation on the missionary journey. It, but the reason it's important when you see the first time confrontation comes is to see how it's handled right then. Paul nipped it in the bud. He met it head on. That's ours. You can't, you can't take a little here and work. You can't miss it the first time, work your way back. Right out of the gate, Paul shows us how to deal with it. Paul's not interested in being popular. Paul's not interested in making friends. He's not interested in making a name for himself. He's not interested in having a, a big social media page where everybody clicks on and checks and does the thumbs up. And everybody. What he cares about is telling lost people about Jesus Christ, that souls get saved, rescued out of the fiery pits of hell, given a home in heaven. That's all that matters to Paul. That's all that ought to matter to us. People are dying and going to hell every day, and we know the way to get out of it. And we're silent about it. We don't speak the truth. We don't tell it. We don't put it out because we're intimidated. Or we want to compromise, or, or, or we hold back, and we say, well, we're just shy. No, we're not. We're not shy. None of us are shy. We may talk shy about it in public, but the truth is, if, you, if, the, if the conversation is about something we enjoy, we're all in. You get around a handful of people, you don't talk about fishing, I'm all in. You get around a handful of people, you don't talk about hunting, I'm all in. We ought to be, when you get around a handful of people, we ought to spark the conversation of Jesus, lead the conversation of Jesus, drive the conversation of Jesus, that we tell everybody about Jesus. The Apostle Paul shows us how to handle when somebody comes to debate. He doesn't try to take a verse and break it down into pieces and separate it out and debate this and debate that. He, he doesn't get into some scriptural dialogue with them. He doesn't try to, to go into some theological explanation. He say, buddy, you're a liar. 
Jesus Christ is the way. You're, you're a liar. Everything about you is a lie. You are an enemy. We cannot make room for those who will try to distort the truth, change the word of God. We, we cannot reason with those who are living an abomination lifestyle and try to make... Listen, I had a conversation just probably about four days ago, and I told somebody point blank, your problem is you're trying to change this book to fit your life. You need to change your life to fit this book. This book's written to change your life, not vice versa. You can't change this to fit you. If it doesn't match what you're living, you're living in sin. I don't know how else to tell you that. It's not rude. It's not, it's not off the chain. It's trying to help somebody. Somebody help somebody to learn the gospel. And the world's trying to change this book to fit their life. You can't change this book. It's the forever handwritten word of the living God. It's never going to change. It's settled in heaven forever. So you can quit trying to change the book to fit your life. If you're not lined up with this book, change your life. But we live in a world that's trying to change the book. And we got way too many pulpits that are trying to soften the book. Just teach the book and the book's about Jesus. We just got to tell the world about Jesus. We get to verse number 11 and we see exactly, we see exactly why the apostolic powers died out with the apostles. We see exactly why God, why the Holy Spirit knows he cannot trust a man like me with a power like that. We see exactly why somebody like me can't be given this kind of responsibility because Paul said, the hand of the Lord is upon thee and thou shalt be blind. Not seeing the sun for a season and immediately there fell on him a mist and darkness, and he went about seeking some. Y'all ain't no different. There'd be some blind folks around here. If, if I could do that, there'd be a whole lot of people who wouldn't have no tongue. I mean, there'd be some folk. Matter of fact, I would take away 11 things. I would take away their tongue and all ten fingers. So they can't say it, they can't text it, they can't social media it, they can't stir it. I'd take that away. I can clearly see why God can't trust somebody like me with that kind of power. But even still in this, I see God's grace. It, it says that he did it for a season. That means the blindness was only temporary. He, he did not smitten him blind from now on. So I, I just wonder, I mean, I, I see that, that Sergius and the others present are moved I wonder why it doesn't tell us about Elimus. I wonder what happens with him. I'm, I'm pretty sure if I just took on a man. You're going to be blind for a season. And I immediately went blind. You and me both. I know that's a bad dude. He might not be much, but I know one thing. He's got a bad God. He's got somebody on his side that I don't need to measure. I, just, I wonder what happened when he got his sight back. I wonder did he ever get saved. We don't know because it doesn't, it doesn't tell us. But verse number 12 tells us something that, that's really important. And it's one of those things that if we're, if we're not careful, we'll miss this. The story just happened. We, we just read the part about the Apostle Paul. We've just read about this incredible miracle where he said, man, you're against all this righteous and you're going to be blind. And immediately he goes blind. And the next verse says that the deputy, when he saw it was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. The governor was astonished. The word means amazed. But here's the key to the verse. He's 
not of the Lord. That's a big deal. What changes lives is not the miracle, it's the power of God. What changes lives is not the miracle, it's the word of God. It's the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Just a couple of examples. Luke chapter 16 tells us a story. It tells us about when the rich man being in hell looked up and he saw Lazarus being in the bosom of Abraham. And he said, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus to, to dip his finger in the water that he plays one drop of water on my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham says, no, no, can't do that. You remember in life how you had the finer things in life. Remember in life you had all you wanted. You had everything coming your way. In life, you chose this. Now, now Lazarus, he chose this. But you've got what you chose. So, so I can't send him over to bring you a drop of water. But he says, okay. Well, Father Abraham, would you do this for me? I've got five brothers. Would you please send Lazarus back to, to tell them that my brothers not come to this awful place, that my five brothers be not tormented in this flame. Would you please send them back to, to tell them, to tell them about it, to give them warning they'll believe. And here's what Abraham is, is nay, nay, Father Abraham, if one went from them unto the dead, they will repent. Abraham told him, he said, that's not going to do any good. They have Moses and the prophets. If they'll not hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen. He says in verse 31 of Luke chapter 16, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So what he said is they have Moses. We call it Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Pentateuch. First five books of the Bible, Matthew chapter 22. Jesus, if you want to go by it, you listen, you write them down, but I'll give them to you if you don't already know them. There are 17 prophets in the Old Testament. The books that are called the Law and the Prophets, or Moses and the Prophets. The prophets, the minor prophets, are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are called minor prophets. Then you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, and Daniel. Those are called major prophets. The only difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is length of books. Not importance of content, not value of information, but, but just length of books. So what Abraham told him there is your brothers have all of these books. They have all of these things of God. And if they'll not hear the word of God, they're not going to listen. They'll one be sent back from the dead. Now, think about us today. Now, I promise you that's not me. Huh? Well, today we, we're not. We have the, the poetical books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. We have, I preached on a book of Wisdom Sunday, Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. They're called wisdom books. We have all of the New Testament. We not only have the Gospels, but we have all of the epistles. We have the Acts of the Apostles. We have the prophecy of the book of Revelation. We have all of this stuff that is the Word of God. Listen, miracles may surprise somebody. Miracles may, may shock somebody, but it is the word of God that changes the hearts of men. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, the drawing of the Holy Spirit that draws a man, but it is the word of God that changes the hearts of men. There's not a doubt in my mind that, that Sergius and everybody around was shocked by the miracle. 
I'm, I'm quite positive we can agree that when Paul said, you shall be blind, and he went blind, everybody around said, oh, we. Scared to death right about it. Somebody, that, there was somebody there that was just fixing to say something, and Paul did that, and they said, I ain't saying a word. Forget I even thought anything. I, I, I'm pretty sure there was fear went over the crowd. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That, that's a pretty powerful moment, but that's not what changed it. It was the gospel is what amazed him. It was the doctrine that amazed him. It was the truth that amazed him because it was the truth that set him free. It was the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what he emphasized was the truth. The word there, it says that he believed. The word that he believed it means to be absolutely convinced because he heard the truth, not because of the miracle, because he heard the truth. He was absolutely convinced. It means to be full of faith because of what he had heard now has been confirmed. He is full of faith as Christians. That means he converted his family after this day. And his family's family, his children and grandchildren, historians show us records that we know for at least two generations, this man's family is Christians. And it all started because right here in this public setting in front of everybody, the Apostle Paul refused to compromise and preach Jesus. When we are given a platform, there's not one of us, sorry, there's not one of us in here who has not done it. We have had an opportunity and we missed it. We have had an opportunity to witness and we walked away. We've had an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus and whether it's intimidation, whatever we can call it, whatever it wants. I don't believe there's a Christian in here who has not at some point in our life, at least one time, walked away from an opportunity. Paul didn't. It's the same kind of opportunity when God... Don't back down. Don't walk away. His name is Jesus. Refuse to compromise. Tell them, and it changes the hearts of men if we just stick to the truth. Don't get into biblical debates. Well, I don't know enough Bible to get into debate. Don't. Teach what you know. Here's what you know. I was a sinner on my way to hell. I heard about Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus. Somebody told me about it, said I could be saved. I asked Jesus to save me. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Can I explain it? No. All I know is that everything in me changed. The Holy Spirit moved in. I am a new creature in Christ. I'm different because of what Jesus did for me. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I can tell you how to do the same thing. If they want to debate Scripture, fine, let them debate. Let, let, let them go on. But we cannot compromise. One of the greatest problems in the church today is compromise. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. Anything, not Word of God and anything. Word of God, period. Verse 13, when, when Paul and his company lose from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, we looked ahead last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on John Mark, but I do want to spend some time. Two major 
turn of events that we see right here in these little scriptures, not a little things that we can easily miss if we don't look, but one of them, Saul, which is called Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church. This is the first time in the scriptures we see him called Paul. So from here on, we know him as the apostle Paul. We knew him as Saul of Tarsus. But this is the first time in the scriptures that we see him called Paul. But another thing that we see here in verse number 13, remember it said, appoint me out Barnabas and Paul. And remember there were five men from that church at Antioch that he sent out onto this mission field to go out. But from this point forward, we sit there in verse 13 that, that it becomes Paul and his company. So Paul at this point becomes the headship. towards the mainland there in Pamphylia. It says they arrive at Persia. That is the capital city of Pamphylia. It's located right along the river. It's about seven miles inland from the sea. So they've sailed up the river. They've come there to the capital city. There in that city, there's a huge temple to Artemis or, or the goddess Diana that sets up on a hill that overlooks the city. Paul is very familiar with this. This is the neighboring villages to where he grew up um, Saul of Tarsus. This is the region. Paul knows this area very well. He knows the hazards. He knows the problems. He knows that they've got to travel from where they are. But he knows if they travel by the coastline that it's full of pirates. He knows that if they travel the, the pathways that are through the mountains that have been established that it's full of robbers and thieves and groups of robbers, gangs. He knows that That if they are traveling and it's full of wild beasts, he understands that, that traveling will be very difficult, but Paul has no intentions of letting difficulty stop him. But John Mark quit. John Mark said, I'm going back. We looked at it a little bit last week. Some speculate, as I said a while ago, that it was because of that event there with that sorcerer and maybe that had something to do with it. And he didn't like the fact that this man was now being called a Christian and he went back to Jerusalem. Some speculate that. Others speculate that the reason he went back was like, man, that's too dangerous for me. I, I didn't sign up for all that. And some, of them, some of them speculate that he looks at like now that it is Paul and his group. Paul has obviously taken a leadership. Remember last week we looked at, we really don't know why he's there. The Holy Spirit doesn't send him. He's not mentioned to the five men. So his uncle Barnabas may have invited him on the trip and maybe uncle Barnabas was over at the time. And now Paul's over it and some speculate. lunatic man he's going to go up in all this place he's going to get us all killed the truth is we don't know why he left we just know that he left and he left probably when they needed him the most when times get difficult is when you need the people around you when times get difficult is when we need each other it's when we need brothers and sisters in Christ when, when things rise up against us personally, when things rise up against us as a church, that's when we need to send one another support text. That's when we need to send one another text that just says, hey, I love you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. That's when we need to pull in one accord. That's when we need to come together, not walk out. So, so we don't know why he left. We just know that he left. He left at a time when he could have been an encouragement to Paul and Barnabas. He left at a time when, when he could have added strength. He left at a time when he could have been. just be behind them and pray for them. 
He didn't have to be a spokesman. He didn't have to be a ringleader. Just pray for the ones that are. So he left at a time when, when, they, when they really needed him. He left at a time when the church, the people, the family, the body of Christ ought to pull together. But only the weak in spirit are going to bail out. And that's what John Mark does. So, yeah, before I get to that, let, let, me, just, let me just take a minute while I'm there. If God allows a situation to, to get difficult in a church, if God allows people to, to run their mouth, God allows a, a situation in a church, God allows... Satan, to, to use a tongue, God allows things to rise up. It's not because God is tearing that church. It's not because God is doing anything bad with that church. God is cleaning that church out. And if God is cleaning a church out, rest assured he's planning on doing something great. There's just some John Marks that are in the way. There's just some low spiritual level. There's just some backbiting. We talked about it on Sunday morning. There's just some backstabbing. There's just some things that God hates. And God says, I need that out. I'm fixing to do something great right here, and I have no room for that. I'll go let them hold down somebody else's pew. I'll go let them stir up somebody else's trouble. But I'm about to do something great right here. And so I'm going to put some things in here, and, and I, I'm going to purge this church. I'm going to weed out what doesn't need to be here because I'm about to do some things. But you got to know if God's going to do some things, Satan's going to come against it. But when Satan comes against it, that's when God's going to rise up. That's how faith grows. That's how we learn to see God do great things when he strikes down the devil, when he calms the storms, when he... There's a, there's a lot of, I don't know, I'm probably going to wind up in trouble. There's a lot of people, a lot of times in the church, they, they look plugged in. They, they, they look like they're all in because they want to get involved in every ministry. They want, they want to be there. But in reality, they're weak in the spirit. It's what it is. A lot of people want to be involved in something all the time where they don't have to sit in service. They, they can be busy, but they're there, right? They did their checklist for the week. So on the outside, it looks like, like they're doing something, but, but God sees the heart. And what happens is when problems arise, they're going to be some of the first ones out. They're going to be some of the first ones to walk out of the door. They're going to be some of the first ones weak in the spirit. Not only that, but whatever's going on on social media, they're going to join in on it. And, and they're going to go hold down somebody else's pew. Well, glory to God. When the enemy comes against anybody, that's when you're going to find out who you are. You're going to know where you stand, not as an individual, not as a church. Without things coming against you, you don't know which way will you turn when all hell turns towards you. But the reality is, we decide which way to go, and those that are strong in the faith and desire the things of God are going to turn to God. And, and those that are, that are just in it are going to turn away. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened here with John Mark. We don't know if there's a verbal confrontation. 
We don't know if he and the Apostle Paul have any conversation about this leaving. Does he privately tell Barnabas and sneak off in the night? Does he and Paul butt heads over? Does he tell Paul and Paul looks at him like, really? And we don't know that. But here's what we do know from chapter 15 that we looked at last week. It Paul saw John Mark as a quitter, and Paul has no time for quitters. The Apostle Paul is as strong a Christian as I believe ever lived. I believe it's the example. No time for quitters. It is, it's all in. Paul said when we get to chapter 15, he said, you're not going with me again. The, the, the way is difficult. The task is too great, but the mission is too important. So I'm not letting somebody go with me that's a quitter. I'm just saying everything's not always what it seems. What, what we see here is that the Holy Spirit takes it serious when somebody walks away. The Holy Spirit takes it serious when somebody quits just because the battle got a little hot, just because the oven got a little warm, just because the battlefield got a little too close for comfort. The Holy Spirit takes it serious. all who are still there, but it, it caused a great falling out between these two incredible men of God. It made a, a great argument. I'm sure the devil got a pretty good laugh out of that, that these two incredible men of God have parted ways and are arguing about it. It says here, departing. I want to we'll take a few minutes. I, I don't know if I'm going to even get to finish where I wanted to get to. But that's an important word that he used for departing. If you look in the New Testament, you'll, you'll find this word departing six times, this time and five other times. But if you go to the Greek, what you'll find out is this is the only time you find this word out of departing. The other five departings used in the New Testament are all a different Greek word, and they all have a different meaning. But what you'll also find is that this Greek word is translated to depart as a Different on the mount, verse number 21. And he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's the same word that is talking about Paul departed, left, gave up, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Luke chapter 9, same Greek word is used to describe a demon-possessed boy, a young man. His father comes, and it says that this demon-possessed, this demon will not depart from my son. He will not leave my son alone. Luke 9, 37, it came to pass on the next day when they were come down from the hill much. He foameth again and bruising him hardly departed from him. He will not 
Leave my son alone. He will not depart. I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. This is the same kind of strong language that the Holy Spirit used here that says, John Mark departed from the ministry. I don't know why he left, but based on, on the, the strength of vocabulary, based on the harsh word that the Holy Spirit used to put that out, I can only assume that, that it was a lack of faith issue. I can only assume it was something on giving up in the ministry. It wasn't just, hey, mom's sick, got to go home. It, it was bigger than that. But I, I want to I do something real quick before we go. They told me to be a little bit later for out there anyway. I any thought to go. I want to move ahead again because I want us to remember God's amazing grace. I want us to remember how much God loves us because I want to make a point there about what John Mark did. It's obviously bad. Based on the word of the Holy Spirit, it's obviously a lack of faith. It's something that caused a great divide between two great men of God so that Paul gave up on him. It's obviously something really bad. But if you go on in the scriptures, what you find out is that John Mark does come back to the ministry. He does write a gospel. He does come back. He even works with Paul. When the apostle Paul wrote his letter to Colossians, he said, chapter 4 and verse number 7, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might Note, my fellow prisoner saluteth you and Marcus. Here's your evidence about who Marcus is. Marcus is the Latin name for Mark. Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. That's Mark. That's the nephew of Barnabas. Paul said, if he comes to you, Receive him. Sounds like some restoration to me, what do you think? Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, his young preacher boy, his young protege, Timothy. And he sends him a letter in chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, For Demoth hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans unto Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. It goes with a saying I've used a lot of times in messages. Failure is never fatal unless it's final. God allows U-turns. Doesn't matter how big the mistake. Doesn't matter how deep the mistake. Doesn't matter how severe the mistake. John Mark walked out of the ministry. God said, it's okay. Brought him back in. It looks to me when you look at it, I was thinking today, I was looking back over it. I thought of yesterday, looked at it a little bit more today, but it, it kind of looks like a New Testament version of the prodigal son. If you look at it, there, there's a failure of faith which led to a departure of the person. But then there was a recognition of the failure and the return of the person which was received by grace, accepted by mercy, and used by God. 
We've all made mistakes. of God, and we see one there in, in John Mark, that God brought him back and made him an incredible minister. So e even when we fail God, there is nothing that God, forgive me, can't cleanse. There is nothing that God, forgive me, restore me, make me a usable vessel, can't change. Nobody can get so far away that God can't reach them and bring them back. Amen? Sometimes it's just like the prodigal. All we got to do is turn around and start walking back towards home. The Bible says that the father ran, fell on his neck, kissed him on the cheek, and said, my son, which was dead, has come home again. Thank God for you turns. Anybody say amen? amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you, God, for loving us truly in spite of us. Thank you that you loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Thank you, God, for, Lord, the privilege of being called a child of God. It's amazing that you would take us and use us, but we know that you do your work through the lives of men, God. I pray you take us in here tonight. Make us usable vessels, Father. Use us to build your kingdom and to spread your glory, to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being so good. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good to see you guys tonight. Lord willing, we'll pick up as they, they move on to the rest of their missionary journey number one next week.